Well, here we are. Amazing. Uh, I think we have Luke Zirikoff joining us. Are you there, Luke? Can I hear you? Connecting to audio. Good morning. Hey, man. How you doing? Great. How's your week been? It's fantastic. We got some great weather, which uh, I think Dick Van Dyke said that you should never judge a day by its weather. So I guess all weather is good. <laughs> but this is particularly, particularly good. Oh, nice. So here we are. Episode two of, uh, we're calling this Weekend Environments, a sanctuary of sound. And specifically, we're visiting all of the wonderful qualities of the Illuminous Audio Gravitas speaker system and other audio components that we'll be exploring soon. The isolation component feet that are, that perform amazingly well and the gravitas speaker system and its various uh applications in reference listening in whether it's your own enjoyment or in a professional setting in dailies or reviewing record album mixed down if you have a very glorified mastering system. And uh, Luke, I think we've uh, wanted to visit a couple of topics today. And one that's been haunting the world of audiophile for many a year, many a review, many a brochure, many a web page, many a picture. And I've entitled it the mysterious waterfall. That's a great title. Now, for for folks of a technical bent, we like to see numbers, statistics, and graphical representations of engineering relationships, and that may soothe us and provide us with a level of trust in a science or a product or a discipline or a study this, that, or the other. And so what I'm referring to for the rest of us who are a bit, don't really know what we're talking about. And I think I can be included among those. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about is the spectrum analysis. And correct me if I use the wrong terms, Luke, spectrum analysis of acoustic energy in a room or in a space that is transformed into a multicolored rainbow of that appears to be a cascading waterfall that represents the some of the mechanical acoustic behavior specifically of a speaker or or an entire sound system so we see a lot of articles review articles with nice looking graphic waterfalls and db ratings and all kinds of technical details now, if I were reading your review article, Luke, you're, you're the designer of the Gravitas speaker system, and you've been doing this since 2014. You have gone through many iterations of speaker 
development. I know that you and I started working together at least three years ago to, and I helped you like a fly on the wall to, as you developed the last six yards of the Gravitas system into the performance powerhouse that it is now. Um, and now I know that included a lot of technical terrain that you had to cover over the course of time, what worked for you, what would, what did not. But if I were purchasing such a system and I were to read a review and I saw the waterfall and I tell the DB ratings and I saw the technical details, one might infer that based on that, I could just simply mail you a check. Yes. <laughs> you could just simply mail me my speakers and thank you very much. Have a nice day. My lifelong search for the perfect audio file system is complete. What now, how did, now I'm speaking sardonically here. So what do you think about the significance of that? And we went further before in our previous episode about how do you choose, how do you go about choosing speakers? Um, how can that possibly help me? I guess is my question. And what type of documentation could help me choose the right speaker? Well, that is a, a really great way of phrasing the question, you know, because I think you open up some things that maybe aren't promoted as much in a review process and are not necessarily mentioned in any kind of specifications about speaker performance. So when you're looking at basic or even advanced speaker testing, it really only comes down to the things that a speaker actually does. So one thing it does is, of course, sound comes out at various the frequencies that are fed to it from the recording. And measuring its ability to respond as evenly as possible to any given frequency, that's a relatively obvious test of how good is a speaker? Can it respond to all these different frequencies at about the same volume? A next similar and a little more difficult to measure is phase uh, for back, I guess the term would be continuousness across that frequency range from 20 hertz to 20,000 that we can hear mostly. So what you're saying is, is a trumpet as consistently presented as, let's say, a timpani or an electric guitar twang or a Stratocaster comes across perhaps no more stridently than, let's say, a tambourine? Is that what we're like? So different sound instruments represent different frequency ranges, I guess is how audio engineering has perceived musical performance. Yeah, yes, definitely. Um, in the uh, realism or what we would consider to be a very engaging and emotionally engaging type loudspeaker system and overall stereo system is able to recreate or to produce that signal sent to the speaker fairly accurately, but there's one kind of uh, disclaimer to that capability, and it's been argued throughout 
the history of loudspeaker design is would not, uh, the premise being if the flattest, most accurate response sounded the best, couldn't we just build a speaker that had perfectly flat response, thus the very best sounding speaker possible? And the answer to that, and anyone can test it if they wish to, with their existing system, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. Reason being, <clears throat> with today's uh, technology digitally, we can flatten out any speaker's response uh, immediately uh, through electronic EQ. And we can even do things to flatten the response and also... So by EQ, what yeah. we're saying is that you're, you can graphically, with a, with a turn of a knob, um, make a, a hump of, let's say, 116 hertz all the way to over 100 kilohertz or hundreds of thousands of cycles of mechanical vibration per second, you can have each of them be in an egalitarian fashion. Everybody's equal. I'm a big, fat, humpy bass sound, but I'm equal to a piccolo. I'm no more significant <laughs> than a uh, than a tom tom. If I'm a violin virtuoso playing a Saint Sans concerto, I'm no more important than the cello that's accompanying me in the symphony. And it's that's the EQ flattening out you're talking about, right? It is. And another way I like to describe it, <clears throat> excuse me, is in a in a real uh, so at the recording of the actual musical time, whether it be in a concert hall or in the studio, there should be, assuming it's recorded well, dynamic range as far as some things are, in a sense, louder than other things in the recording. Some things are more prominent, they're more noticeable, they're just, they have more of a lead, I guess, in the instrument, in the, the musical passage. And you want them to be, right? You do, you because... You want symbols to, to crash and to excite you and to surprise you. Yeah. And so even the, the, uh, the musical intent <clears throat> of the artist of how um, aggressive any given instrument or vocal is being played is intentional. If, you, if everybody just, in a sense, thrashed on their instrument and played it as loud as they could, and everybody was playing the same level of loudness, it would sound awful. I mean, everyone's heard like a beginner band where the drummer is playing really hard and loud. The guitar guy is trying to match that volume. Yeah, the vocal when you guys having to, <laughs> and vocalists are having to scream their lungs out to try to get over the top of all of that. Well, so. it's not just, or it's not beginner bands i mean there have been big hair <laughs> bands that have made that methodology famous yes so it starts out at the spinal tap level one <laughs> and then maybe the lead guitarist says you know i have an important part here to play and i think i'll turn it up to two and then yes. you got the bass player like guys we're not going to get paid unless we uh get this going so i think i'll turn it up to three and then they they each have their own individual amps so then it becomes gradually a big 
free for all of, of volume and different unbelievable variances. And then when they find out that they can't hear each other, not that it makes that much difference a lot of the time, then they all either they either appeal to the high court of audio engineering and there's usually some guy scratching his head like why are you guys doing this to me then he's going to have to eq or level out everybody in a very uh, democratic but not necessarily very musical fashion what's happening and then they all turn on him and say i can't hear the monitor in other words a speaker pointing back at you so here's a poor guy or girl trying to deal with the sound dealing with a speaker that's pointed back at the artist while they're miking through speakers that are pointing toward an audience and saying a live situation so uh <laughs> it's a it's a it's a nightmare most of the time so go ahead with our, so our, our waterfall oh, situation the, yeah bring that mm, out so the uh, i guess the the difficulty and the problem that can arise from certain concepts as far as uh, a measured performance from a speaker of course if it measures very poorly it's poorly designed no doubt about it that's just that's poorly designed if it doesn't have a, a reasonable frequency response and its phase characteristics are similarly reasonable uh, is, so as far as the um, time arrival, in a sense, of the different frequencies, there can be design problems, uh, particularly at the crossover level, that can uh, worsen uh, time response problems. But the overall thought about uh, speaker design on as measured from uh, something like an audio precision machine or any other sophisticated measurement and your the audio precision being a company that yes. builds very good technology in analyzing signal, uh, either the signal that, for instance, goes through a low voltage pathway, like a XLR cable, or even through a power cable at a higher voltage. Yeah, and twenty-five X. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I only mention it because, <clears throat> excuse me, at least for the readers of publications like Stereophile, nearly all of their measurements are taken with an audio precision machine, mm -hmm. and so that's in a sense considered the um, the benchmark, if you will, of of acoustic measurement with loudspeakers. From the hardware side, there's software and other things that can have an effect, positive or negative, to these loudspeaker measurements. But as our conversation, as we're talking about it, <clears throat> I, I think the, the moral of the story or something that is worth noting for any high performance enthusiast for, for sound, uh, recordings themselves are what they are. And so whether they captured something with dynamic range and um, other uh, aspects to the recording that make it sound natural and good, that can be embraced as it is, or it can be further altered through something uh, such as loudspeakers. So what will happen 
is it is very difficult to decide through listening to one song and saying, well, that sounded pretty good. And then a song that is had different recording and mastering process, and that sounds much worse. And so the, the listener with that system is left with this question of some songs sound good, others don't. Is it my speakers or what is it? So this can get into a very difficult uh, chasing your tail as far as where is the problem in my system. So that does lead back to uh, reasonable test measurements of a loudspeaker that don't show a glaring deficiency. But unless that is the case, the, the deficiency is often something with speaker setup or room acoustics. And I know some people's jaw may hit the floor and say that that can't be the case, can it? And I am here to proclaim with absolute certainty that is the case. And I've heard it countless times in rooms around the world. Right. Okay. So we're looking at a waterfall and we're really not looking at, a, at it at all. We're seeing a room. We're seeing a system. We're even seeing an audio precision device. We're seeing all those things in our in the performance and i know that it's kind of like researching and i'll i hope this will be controversial enough to have people either listen more or to try to delete the podcast <laughs> but for instance using a a medical constant like growing a cancer that doesn't exist in reality has never existed on its own, simply to have a common set of parameters with which a whole host of people can research. So there are all the research matches and they, sh they may be able to cure the problem or solve the problem that they created in their imaginary test field. And it's fantastic. But then when they try to apply that outside that environment, they find out that they don't have much success there. And so the, having a, I suppose, if you lived in an anechoic chamber and you occupy that for most of your time, and I guess maybe some people right now in the present world circumstances probably are living in anechoic chambers but that's very, uh, yes. very it's uh, not going to meaning anechoic chamber being a a closed in receptacle of room in which for practical matters we can't hear anything it's basically passively removed and diffracted diffused all mechanical vibration so that the room itself is supposed to not even be present so that you can conduct some kind of test that you and your engineering buddies can pat yourselves on the back about. But when it comes to people like you and me who want to hear a good piece of music, whether it's a Sibelius symphony or whether it's the Rolling Stones, you want to be able to have an idea of what, what Mick meant by that when he performed that way or what Mr. Sibelius meant by, uh, his compositions so so the mystery of the waterfall do you think we can you think we're going to solve this mystery what is the relevance of the technical 
is it worth occupying a review article what is it how does it help me the purchaser of a speaker system you think or does it it's just a bit distraction perhaps i think excuse me it can be interesting and insightful at a, at a very deep technical level as far as just the mechanics and acoustics of a loudspeaker so i would say that it can be interesting to test and to look at but how to apply that sort of information especially in a comparative sense is one of those physical uh, material acoustical measurements going to be better sounding than another i would say no way there's there's too many other variables to say with that only that piece of information in a vacuum of this waterfall response this plot is better than the other one is totally useless by <laughs> itself it's totally useless. so that's why i say it's interesting technical data if you're a designer you can say, well, this is what their total design was, and here's how it responded in a test. That's interesting, and it's useful with loudspeaker design. Is it useful in determining which speaker to use and with your system in your room? Not at all. Okay, so essentially waterfalls are kind of like real waterfalls. If you get too close to them, you'll probably just go over the edge. Yeah, it is. It's not going to be pretty for you if you start to use that as your bellwether or your steering mechanism. You sign, you get sucked into it, and then you cascade over into the edge of what am I doing? And, and essentially, you're making considerations that are really not based, your, your discernment doesn't seem to be based on information that is going to be is serving you rather than just you and me sitting in a room having the gravitas set up then you can make some type of determination about is this sound right for you and here's one other thing i do want to mention about uh loudspeaker response charts and data of any kind they do provide a a, perhaps a small sample of what they're likely to sound like, but the big caveat to that is assuming they're calibrated, in other words, set up to work with a room. And I like to use this example because everyone has heard it so they can relate to it. If you hear the same song performed by the exact same band and players so nothing changed but they do a live recording or just a different acoustical space and then they play sections slightly differently so they improvise a little and change small things about notes and tempo and so it's just a different renditioning of a song and loudspeakers are a lot like that but whatever loudspeaker you use that rendition in a sense is permanent across everything that is played through it. So a speaker that does have a more uh, accurate capability is able to change out its shoes, if you will, and do different recordings as they are and sound 
as they are instead of being uh, molded into what the loudspeaker is trying to make it into. So some speakers that don't have very good technical parameters are going to mask what sound is there versus more accurate loudspeakers like the Gravitas do very little masking. So uh, maybe a specific detail to cite is if you think of someone that's playing a trumpet uh, in a small jazz bar, and you think about where you might be sitting or which direction the trumpet player is facing, and as they're moving around, you think some sections, certain parts of the song, you heard more clearly because they happen to be facing towards you or, or something in that regard. Mm -hmm. Whereas other sections sounded considerably worse. I mean, the musical enjoyment is still there, but just the audio quality itself would have been less, even though it's live. Loudspeakers are very similar to that in terms of when they're set up right and it's a good loudspeaker like the Gravitas, most all of it sounds great. Whereas if you set up a not so good loudspeaker, it's kind of like a very poorly positioned jazz trumpet player permanently. <laughs> so it's, it's really, um, it's quite um, sad actually when you, we do hear some systems out there, people who are considering a different loudspeaker and before we go too far with that for most clients, we say, well, what do you currently have and can we hear it? Mm -hmm. That gives us a good idea of what that customer is accustomed to and also a discussion of well, what are you looking for in your sound is do you, can you, you know, verbalize or just say what it is that you think your system is lacking. And so we try not to steer people too much and say, well, this is what we hear and you're missing this, this, and this. It's mm -hmm. uh, much more informative to have them say, I feel like I'm missing this and that. And based on what, what I hear in a system, many times I can confirm that quite easily and say, well, good news, we have not only the solution for this, but you're now also going to hear a lot of the music that you never heard before. And so it's, it's a two for one in that sense, but wow, talk about a satisfying experience for people who appreciate music, which is myself, to have the, the customers hear it, how it should be heard, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I think there's a new, I think that the whole reason that customers contact us is for the reason that they do sense that there's something missing from the performance or that there's something possibly being masked. And, and yet, as I said before, can you really know whether, what, what, why that's happening until you bring a component into your system and try it out and so that's why i think you and i came to the conclusion that it's worth the time and effort and money for a client to invite us in listen to their system and yes relocate move their speakers for the duration of our demo and see what we can see orally and find out can we ameliorate the experience with the gravitas system 
and it's worth that experience and it's fun it and is. it's certainly revelatory and the experience is gonna be we're confident a improvement of a level of magnitude in performance and the revelatory philosophy of the gravitas system and that will tell us more about their system and what else could be improved perhaps so well, let me let me speak to that you know on the uh <clears throat> excuse me on the uh, technical parameters versus how does it sound in someone's room and say it's the question is about changing nothing other than loudspeakers and also with being uh, able to to tune the speaker to the room that the client would uh, permit in a sense of room tuning which once people hear it uh, no one ever has said no but here's the the um the question as far as the quest for enjoyment of your system. So too often times people, including myself, can get um, too much emphasis on technical aspects of what should sound better versus what does. And that's something I try to keep uh, the scientific principles of you. It's fine to have a hypothesis and set up some sort of testing that's repeatable but the results are the results. Whether you like them or not, the test showed X. And in the, in the stereo world, in the musical enjoyment world, there is this rating factor that is not accounted for or very, very little emphasis when, in my opinion, most of the emphasis should be on this factor. And that factor is musical enjoyment. And people would say, that's preposterous. What a dumb thing to say. <laughs> but in all my years of testing and listening and the best sounds in the world I've ever heard from any system, including other manufacturers, when you have a conversation with those designers of different pieces of equipment, it could be the amp designer, anybody that's done extensive listening. And you can say, well, what is it about this system that makes it so great? And every person has uh, of course, their own uh, horn to toot, if you will. Well, it's because the circuitry of the amp is so. We use this kind of wiring. We have this kind of power tubes. Uh, the wiring, the loudspeaker, everything. But what everyone agrees on is the, the musical enjoyment, which is also the same as emotional engagement with the music, is the artist had a feeling when they played it. The good ones, the really greats have that it embodies their, their mind when they play it. It's like the transfer of their, their emotions comes out in the music. And the more of that we absorb as the listener, at least in my opinion, the greater the pleasure. And so for yeah. those who've had that experience and for those that haven't, if you've had it, you'll know. You'll, you'll know the time that that happened. You'll say, I remember perhaps the first time I heard a system that did that and right. it rocked your world. Well, yeah, it's, it's ironic because in the process of when you're doing recording, there's someone on the other side of that glass, where there used to be glass in the studio. And if you come back and say, wow, I really, I really like that. That was emotionally engaging. It was just beautiful. It was a fantastic moment. 
and the engineer will say, yeah, there was a lot of distortion in there, wasn't there? <laughs> because they, they said, I was, I was watching that, you know, you peaked a couple of times and uh, can you do a little, do that again, but this time just, you know, bring you down a little bit. Because <laughs> um, I have no headroom to, to mix now. You know, you really made my life difficult. You got all emotional and all that stuff. But, you know, I saw some, I saw some red in my, in, in my meters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little, so you're, you're looking, you're, you know, you're having a great recording experience. And yet many an engineer has told me, and I hope that people would disagree with me about it because I just, I don't really, I don't love controversy. But for many people, controversy, you know, one person, one person's controversy is another person's paycheck. You know, it, it, <laughs> it gets people interested in discussing the matter, but it's typically I've encountered, oh, well, you know, when you hear something that sounds beautiful, you're talking about distortion there. You look at the sine wave and you're going to see some hair on that stuff and on that, on that averaging out of the, the meter. So we got to get rid of that um, in the mix. And so <laughs> then you're in the point of like, oh my gosh, I've just handed over my baby to this monster and now they're going to chop it up and fix it in the mix. So that's what I've seen and experienced. And, and yet somehow there are many wonderful recordings that have made it all the way to your speaker system. And so that, so yeah, it is enjoyment, the factor of, uh, of enjoyment. So, yeah. <laughs> and I, I feel like that's not only worth pointing out, but that would be my real takeaway for anybody who is interested or is perhaps at the very end of that quest. And they're very serious about figuring out what it is that their system needs to sound better. And by better, that means in my brain, that means more emotionally engaging. Right. And that's where I have to say that the, the conversation or the approach of saying, well, on a technical level, one loudspeaker's chart is this versus that mm -hmm. is of no use whatsoever in that total quest, other than a speaker that's very poorly designed, but something that does assist in speeding the process up is something like gravitas loudspeakers because they're more lab instrument in their level of precision of sound mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it speeds the process up quite a bit because at the very least we know the problem if you want to call it a problem does not lie with the loudspeaker it might be somewhere else so we can always do our room tuning and setup and if there's still a problem, we know for sure that it is not the loudspeakers. It is something else that might be broken somewhere in the system chain. But the nice thing is for a client that's been searching for years of what's wrong with my system, mm -hmm. we will solve that problem. Yeah, so it's really it's not a lose-win possibility situation if we come in as we're kind of doing an audio consultation and... Uh, experiential uh, exploration of their system together and they're going to learn a lot more about in an enjoyable way what their performance what's happening what could be happening which which is not happening and 
even if they come away and say, I'm not ready to go gravitas, still they're going to learn a tremendous amount about what their system ha is capable of and maybe what its limitations are that they want to address. And it's, it's difficult when you have invested an enormous amount of money or time and effort in a system and it's easy to become uh, uh, very uh, attached to that situation, even if it's maybe not the best one. But we'll make it as painless as possible <laughs> to, <laughs> to pass on the the uh, the the hard, cold reality sometimes. But well, Luke, it's uh, always a pleasure to visit and talk about some of these uh, subjects about uh, technical and about listening, uh, specifically about the Illuminous audio system and. We're going to talk about other parts of our Gravitas system and the component feet, uh, the Velvet Mini component feet in, in the near future. Um, do you have anything more to add about the mystery of waterfall? Have we? Do you think this has ended it for the world of audiophile? Uh, hopefully we've solved once and for all the mystery of the technical spectrum waterfall. I would like to think so, you know, and if nothing else, to save someone the time of trying to rotate through a lot of loudspeakers or other components, thinking that somewhere on paper is the solution. And I've never heard that myself. So, I mean, if someone pulled it off, I guess it's possible somehow, but it's it really hasn't assisted my quest for musical enjoyment and even our product design has been much more based in the how does it sound versus what does it look like on paper. It looks great on paper, but the, the further improvements are more so from our ears and our brain of saying that sounds good versus it's good on paper. So that would be wow. my comment. Okay, great. Well, I'll, we'll be looking for any input and comments. We'd love to hear from you about our podcasts. Uh, and we'll be talking about new things for instance in the future podcast coming up for instance location 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 facing <laughs> systems in the room specifically speakers how that will affect the performance that you're going to experience we'll be talking about cardigans plaids stripes polka dots um We'll ask you, to, if you want to watch some of our upcoming podcasts, to watch maybe uh, some episodes of Say Yes to the Dress, because we'll be saying yes to the mess. And we'll be looking at various components, mix and match, and what can happen when you do too much of that. Thank you so much. Illuminousaudio.com. And this is Weekend Environments, the Sanctuary of Sound podcast. Thank you so much, and we'll be seeing you soon. Bye-bye.